to work with the team uh, like those two guys and uh, our other support staff as well. It's just a blessing to, to be a part of a great church like this. God is so good. He's blessed us three with a wonderful church family. And um, if y'all receive any blessing from us, it's only the grace of God, that's for sure. But uh, we're glad to have such a loving, caring, praying church family. Today I'm starting a new series called One Cry. It's in preparation for our Life Action Revival coming up November the 13th through the 16th. Life Action will be back with us for a four-day revival. And uh, it's going to actually be called the One Cry Conference. And, uh, of course, the heart cry of Life Action Ministries is revival, that God's people come back to God with all of their heart. And so in preparation for their time with us, I want us to be prepared so God can do everything He can do uh, through us during that week. So I'm going to invite you to open your Bibles to 2 Chronicles chapter 6 today. Actually, chapter 5 is where we're going to begin. Most of us are familiar with chapter 7, verse 14. If my people, which are called by my name, shall humble themselves and pray and seek my face and turn from their wicked ways. God said, I'll hear from heaven, I'll forgive their sin and heal their land. But often we don't look at the context of that verse. And this morning, I want us to look at the context of that passage and understand the one cry that the church needs to make is the cry, or I should say the first cry, the first cry the church needs to make is a cry of repentance. What is happening here in this passage is that Solomon has finished building the temple. And now he is dedicating that temple to the Lord. In chapter 5 and verse 13, Solomon says about the Lord, For he is good, his mercy endures forever. That the house, the house of the Lord was filled with a cloud, so that the priest could not continue ministering, because of the cloud, for the glory of the Lord filled the house of God. Well, what if that happened here today? The glory of the Lord just filled this place. And it says, Solomon spoke, the Lord said he would dwell in the dark cloud. I have surely built you an exalted house and a place for you to dwell forever. Look at verse 12. Then Solomon stood before the altar of the Lord in the presence of all the assembly of Israel and spread out his hands. For Solomon had made a bronze platform, five cubits long, five cubits wide, and three cubits high, and had set it in the midst of the court. And he stood on it, knelt down on his knees before all the assembly of Israel, and spread out his hands toward heaven. And he said, Lord God of Israel, there is no God in heaven or on earth like you, who keep your covenant and mercy with your servants, who walk before you with all their hearts. And then... He talks about in the rest of that chapter, if you'll notice in verse 24, he's asking God to have mercy upon his people. And he says, when they're defeated before their enemy because they've sinned against you, then if they return and confess and pray towards this place, hear and forgive. He says the similar thing in, in verse 26, when the heavens are shut up because of no rain. Verse 28, when there's famine or pestilence or we're besieged by enemies. Verse 32, uh, when a foreigner who is not your people but has come from a far country for the sake of your great name, if they turn towards you, then hear and forgive their sin. He said, when we go out to battle against our enemies, when we sin, verse 36, against you, would you hear from heaven? Would you forgive? And so Solomon spends that whole chapter praying to God, asking God for mercy on his people because he knew, as God knows, that his people are 
we have a tendency to drift away from God, to go our own way. And so Solomon is praying. He said, Lord, not, not just for the sake of this building, this temple that we've built for you, but Lord, for your name's sake, when we rebel against you and when we come back to ourselves and repent and pray to your name, would you hear and would you forgive our sin? Listen, that's the cry that we need to be making day in and day out. We need to be asking God for forgiveness. We'll talk more about that in just a moment. But listen to God's response. And that's where chapter 7 comes in. Listen to God's response. Chapter 7, Solomon is still dedicating the temple. He's making sacrifices to God. And in verse 12, we hear God's response to Solomon's prayer. 7.12 says, Then the Lord appeared to Solomon by night. Now this wasn't in the midst of this dedication prayer. It was later on that God appeared to Solomon. And he said, I have heard your prayer. God says, I will hear from heaven. He said, I have heard your prayer. I have chosen this place for myself as a house of sacrifice. When I shut up the heavens and there is no rain, or command the locusts to devour the land, or send pestilence among my people, if my people who are called by my name will humble themselves and pray and seek my face and turn from their wicked ways, then I will hear from heaven, I will forgive their sin, and I will heal their land. So repentance is the heart cry of God for his people. Solomon was asking God to have mercy on uh, the stubborn and rebellious people of Israel. God says in response, if my people will pray, if they will humble themselves, if they will uh, seek my face, if they will turn from their wicked ways, God says, I will, Solomon, I will answer your prayer. I will hear from heaven. I will forgive their sin. I will heal their land. Now listen, God is waiting for his people to line up with his promise. And the condition of our nation is evidence that God's people haven't lined up with his plan. We want to blame Washington, Wall Street. God puts the blame on the people of God. But we don't want to do that. That's too uncomfortable. That's too unsettling. We're like everybody else. Let's just shift the blame. God, it's the heart cry of God, if my people. Hear that, folks, if my people. Say that with me. If my people. Are you God's people? Are you God's people? We are God's people. And what God does sometimes when his people turn away from him, he designs life events to call us back. Solomon outlines some of these I just read for you in chapter 6, verse 24. When we're defeated before our enemies. When drought happens. When famine comes. He talks in verse 28 of disease and pestilence. When our enemies besiege us. When we go to war. God says, I've designed these things. Listen, these things that are happening in our nation today, they're God's wake-up calls to his people. They're not God's wake-up calls to Washington. They're not God's wake-up calls to Wall Street. They're not God's wake-up calls to Hollywood. They're God's wake-up calls to his people. The condition of our nation is a wake-up call to the church of Jesus Christ. When are we going to wake up and accept responsibility that it comes from us? It springs from us. Revival will spring from the church 
of Jesus Christ. Spiritual awakening will spring from the church of Jesus Christ. Sometimes he uses wicked rulers to get our attention. Read the book of Judges. Let me read a little portion for you. Chapter 1. I'm sorry, chapter 3. In verse 5. Thus the children of Israel dwelt among the Canaanites, all those ites, the Hittites, Amorites, Perizzites, Hivites, and Jebusites. I know those don't mean much to you, but they were wicked pagans. And Israel took their daughters to be their wives and gave their daughters to be their sons, and they served their gods. In other words, the people of God mixed with the pagans. It's happening now. You can't tell much difference between the church and the world anymore. And I'm not talking about the church when we meet. I'm talking about when the church, you're living out there, you know, when you're just doing life. Verse 7, So the children of Israel did evil in the sight of the Lord. They forgot the Lord their God. They served the Baals and Asherahs, that is, the false gods. Therefore the anger of the Lord was hot against Israel. And he sold them into the hand of Cushan Rishathaim, king of Mesopotamia, a foreign king, a pagan ruler. And the children of Israel served that king for eight years. When the children of Israel cried out to the Lord, there's what we need to do. The Lord raised up a deliverer for the children of Israel who delivered them, Othniel, the son of Kenaz, Caleb's younger brother. The Spirit of the Lord came upon him, and he judged Israel. He went out to war, and the Lord delivered Cushan, Reshathaim, king of Mesopotamia, into his hand. And his hand prevailed over him. So the land had rest for 40 years. Then Othniel, the son of Kenaz, died. And guess what happened after the judge died? Israel went right back to it. Judges is one... That, that passage I just repeated, uh, read for you is repeated time and time again in the life of Israel in the book of Judges. You see, God will allow wicked rulers. You wonder why we've got the choice we have come November the 8th? It's in the pews right here. This is why. Y'all don't want to accept that. I know you don't want to hear that. I know that's hard. But that's what God says. He has allowed wicked rulers because we have turned against him. God will use a desolate country. Our country has never been more desolate, morally desolate, than we are now. Look at Isaiah chapter 1. He describes this. Verse 2, Hear, O heavens, and give ear, O earth, for the Lord has spoken. I have nourished and brought up children, and they have rebelled against me. The ox knows its owner, the donkey its master's crib. Even the dumbest of animals know who they belong to, but Israel does not know. My people don't consider a last sinful nation, a people laden with iniquity. A brood of evildoers, children who are corruptors, they have forsaken the Lord. They have provoked to anger the Holy One of Israel. They have turned away backward. Why should you be stricken again? You will revolt more and more. The whole head is sick. The whole heart faints. From the sole of the foot to the, even to the head, there's no soundness in it. But wounds and bruises and putrefying sores, they have not been closed or bound up or sued with ointment. This is how God is describing his people, and that's not much different today. And therefore, he says, verse 7, your country is desolate. Your cities are burned with fire. Strangers devour your land in your presence, and it's desolate as overthrown by strangers. We live in a desolate country. 
because of our sin. In Isaiah chapter 1, verse 13 to 15, another thing God brings up is just false and empty religion. He talks about this in verse 13. He says, stop bringing those futile sacrifices. It's an abomination to me. The new moons, the Sabbaths, the calling of assemblies, I cannot endure the iniquity and the sacred meeting. Your new moons, your appointed feasts, my soul hates. They are trouble to me. I am weary of hearing them. When you spread out your hands, I'll hide my eyes from you. Even though you make many prayers, I will not hear. Your hands are full of blood. God said, look, there's no sense in coming together to practice your religion if you're going to live like the world during the week. It's senseless, it's useless, it's false, it's empty. And that's the, some of the things God designs to get his people's attention. But sometimes, like an ostrich, we stick our head in the sand and we ignore these things. Or we point the finger at somebody else. God, the heart cry of God is right here in Psalm 81. Hear, O my people, and I will admonish you. O Israel, if you will listen to me, there shall be no foreign God among you, nor shall you worship any foreign God. I am the Lord your God, who brought you out of the land of Egypt. Open your mouth wide, and I will fill it. But my people would not heed my voice, and Israel would have none of me. So I gave them over to their own stubborn heart, to walk in their own counsels. Hear the heart cry of God, Oh, that my people would listen to me. Oh, that they would walk in my ways. I would soon subdue their enemies. I would turn my hand against their adversaries. The haters of the Lord would pretend to be submissive to him, but their fate would endure forever. He would feed them with the finest of wheat, and with honey from the rock I would have satisfied you. The heart cry of God, if my people who are called by my name would humble themselves and pray and seek my face and turn from their wicked ways. That's the heart cry of God. Repent. You know, it was the cry of the prophets. And Jeremiah, I'm going to read a few of these selections for you. Listen to God pleading through his prophets. Jeremiah 25, the word that came to Jeremiah. And I'm going to skip a few verses here down to verse 5. The Lord said through Jeremiah, Repent now every one of his evil way and his evil doings, and dwell in the land that the Lord has given you and your fathers forever and ever. Do not go after other gods to serve them and worship them, and do not provoke me to anger with the works of your hands, and I will not harm you. Yet you have not listened to me, says the Lord, that you might provoke me to anger with the works of your hands to your own hurt. In Ezekiel, we hear in chapter 18, God pleading again through the prophets, crying out to, for his people to repent. He says in verse 30, Therefore I will judge you, O house of Israel, everyone according to his ways, says the Lord. Repent! And turn from all your transgressions, so that iniquity will not be your ruin. Cast away from you all the transgressions which you have committed. And get yourselves a new heart and a new spirit. For why should you die, O house of Israel? For I have no pleasure in the death of one who dies. Do you think God takes pleasure in judging his people? It breaks his heart. He takes no pleasure in judging and creating havoc upon his people. But sometimes that's all that his people will listen to. You know that. First of all, you were a child one time. Second of all, you've been a parent. 
And you know that sometimes your children are just going to do what they want to do in spite of what you told them to do, right? And you've got to get their attention, right? And if you don't get their attention, you've got a spoiled brat on your hands. And God says, I'm not going to let you do that to yourselves. I love you enough. The Lord disciplines those He loves. Oh, how He loves us and wants to rescue us, but we just have to turn. He said in Hosea chapter 11, He said, when Israel was just a baby, I loved him. Out of Egypt I called my son. As they called them, so they went from them, but they sacrificed to the Baals and burned incense to the carved images. He said, I taught Ephraim to walk, taking them by their arms. You hear the tender care of God? For his people, but they did not know that I healed them. I drew them with gentle cords. I tried the gentle way, he says. With hands of love, I was to them as those who take the yoke from their uh, neck. I stooped and I fed them. God's saying, I've been gentle with you. I've dealt with you lovingly, patiently, and God still does. But he said, he shall not return to the land of Egypt, but the Assyrian shall be his king because they refused to repent, and the sword shall slash in his cities, devour his districts, and consume them because of their own counsels. My people are bent on backsliding from me, though they call to the Most High, none at all exalt them. And that's a conviction, how God has dealt with us, and how we have slapped the hand that has nurtured us by going our own way. It was the cry, heart cry of God. It was the cry of the prophets. Did you know, after the last prophet spoke, 400 years of silence, Malachi, when Malachi finished prophesying, 400 years of silence between the Testaments, the old and the new. The first word publicly spoken in the new generation, after 400 years of silence, you know what the first cry of the New Testament was? You've guessed it. It came from the mouth of a hairy guy, who ate locusts and wild honey. That was what he ate. You know him by John the Baptist. The first words out of his mouth, the Bible says in Matthew chapter 3, verse 2, the first words that pierced the darkness, that pierced the silence of 400 years, the first word, and it was spoken to the house of Israel, was repent. Repent was the first cry of the New Testament. The first words from Jesus' mouth publicly as he began his ministry at 30 years old, he was baptized by John the Baptist. It says when he came up out of the water and then he began preaching in the cities. The Bible says in Matthew chapter 4, verse 17, the first word from his mouth was, repent. Does that tell you something, folks? And Jesus is preaching to Israel. John the Baptist was preaching to God's people, Israel. In Mark chapter 6, verse 12, the Bible says that Jesus sent the disciples out to preach and to heal the sick. In verse 12 of chapter 6, he says, So they went out and preached that people should repent. And they were preaching to the Jews, for Jesus had already told them. He said in Matthew chapter 10, verse 5 and 6, he said, Don't go to the Gentiles. He said, Rather, go to the lost tribe, the lost uh, sheep of the house of Israel. I want you to preach first to the people of God and tell them to repent. And that's what God's telling you and I today as the people of God. We want to preach to the Gentiles, and yes, we should, to draw them to Christ. But God is saying the church of Jesus Christ, my people, need to repent. It was the message of Peter at Pentecost in Acts chapter 2, verse 38. 
as thousands and thousands of Jews gathered there in Jerusalem to celebrate that Feast of Weeks called Pentecost that followed Passover 40 days later. And Pentecost gathered all these people and and Peter and the Holy Spirit came upon Peter and those disciples and they began to preach and speak in their own language, but people began to understand in their own language. And the first and the thing that Peter spoke in Acts 2.38, they said, what shall we do? What shall we do? What shall we do? You're preaching, this is convicting. <clears throat> what shall we do? The first thing Peter told them to do was what? You guessed it, repent. In Acts chapter 3, verse 19, not a few days later, Peter had another opportunity to preach. As they went to the temple at the house of prayer, Peter and John, and they met a lame man, and they healed him in the name of Jesus Christ. It created such a commotion, lots of people gathered, and Peter used that as an opportunity to preach the gospel of Jesus Christ. And here's what he said in verse 19. Repent, therefore, and be converted, that your sins may be blotted out, so that times of refreshing may come from the presence of the Lord. It was the heart cry of God, repent. It was the cry of the prophets, repent. It was the first cry and the everlasting cry of the New Testament, repent. And every time it's spoken to, not the world, every time it's spoken to the people of God. You, me, repent. It's the last cry of Jesus to his church. Revelation chapter 2 and 3, we find these letters that Jesus had John write down. He said, I want my church to hear these last words of mine. Now, a person's last words are very important, wouldn't you say? Wouldn't you agree? You have loved ones that have gone on to be with the Lord. No doubt you remember the last thing they said to you. You'll cherish it forever. Jesus had some last words for his church before they left. Each of these seven churches kind of are representative of the church of the ages that our church, churches have gone through since Jesus left. But he says, first of all, to the church of Ephesus in chapter 2, verse 5, he says, remember, therefore, from where you have fallen, repent and do the first works. He says in verse 16 of that same chapter to the uh, church of Pergamos, he says, repent or else I will come to you quickly and will fight against you with the sword of my mouth. How would you like to find out that Jesus, your Savior, is fighting against you? Oh, you're going to heaven when you die, but he's against you because you won't repent. Listen, that's the way it is, folks. If you're not, Jesus said, if you're, with me, if you're not with me, you're what? against me. So you, you find Jesus, your Savior, the one who died for you, the one that you believe in that's going to take you to heaven, but yet while you're here on earth, he's resisting you because you're not going the way of, he, of him. He says in chapter 2, verse 21, to the church of Thyatira, he says, he said, I gave her time to repent, but she wouldn't repent. Listen, again, God is giving his people time, time, it's been two, over 2,000 years since Jesus was ascend, has ascended to be with the Lord. He's given us time. It's not that we don't have time. We have plenty of time. He's given us the time. Why? Because he's willing that all should repent. Willing that none should perish. He doesn't want to bring judgment, but he has been because his people have continued to stiff arm him. I mean, you've seen these running backs like Leonard Fournette, the, one, the greatest running back in the NCAA. You've seen those stiff arms that, he, that he's put. Man, he'll just crush a guy. Boom! That's you and me to God over and over. God's trying to come in and wrap us up, not tackle us and crush us like those defenders against Leonard Fournette. He's coming in to love us and save us and embrace us, and we keep stiff-arming him. No! I want to go my own way. I want to do my own thing. You can't tell me how to live my life. 
And eventually, God's going to get tired of stiff arm, being stiff-armed. And he's going to say, all right, go ahead. And don't call me. He said, until you're ready to really repent. He said, but people stiff-arm God, and then they want to come and play church on Sunday. He said, stop doing that. Stop doing that. He said, it's an abomination. I hate it. Stop singing my praises when you stiff-arm me Monday through Saturday. I hate it. It doesn't please me. I despise it. And I will bring judgment upon you. The heart cry of the last cry of Jesus to his church in chapter 3. Verse 3, the lukewarm church. This is the church of this generation. The lukewarm church. They're not hot. They're not cold. They're just kind of in between. Got a foot in the world and a foot in in the word. Church is rich, wealthy, need of nothing. He said, but you don't know you're wretched, miserable, poor, blind, and naked. He said, as many as I love, verse 19, I rebuke and chasten. Therefore, be zealous, hot-hearted, and repent. So if it's the heart cry of God, if it's the cry of the prophets, if it's the first cry of the New Testament, and if it's the last cry of Jesus to his church, don't you think that it ought to be the cry of the church today? What does repentance look like? For many, it looks like this. I'm going to live the way I want to live Monday through Saturday. Saturday night about bedtime, I'll set my alarm clock and put my spiritual pajamas on, and I'll wake up and put my spiritual clothes on, and I'll go to church and be sorry for all that I ever did and let the preacher rake me over the coals. And I'll pretend to love God and worship Him Come Sunday night, I'll take my spiritual pajamas off and I'll put my worldly pajamas on and I'll wake up in my worldly clothes and I'll just go back to the life I've always been living. That ain't repentance. It has nothing to do with repentance. That's an abomination. What does repentance look like? He said it first in 2 Chronicles seven fourteen. If my people will humble themselves. You see, pride says, Preacher, I don't like what you're saying and I disagree with what you're saying. It ain't all my fault. No, I didn't say it was all your fault. I said it's the people of God. Are you a child of God? Are you his people? Do you bear responsibility? Yes. Humility says, yes, Lord, I bear responsibility. I'm part of the problem. I'm not going to keep stiff-arming you and sticking my chest out and say, I ain't the problem. It's so-and-so. They're the problem. They're more of a hypocrite than I am. If oh, so-and-so would get their act together, then the church would be better. No, it's you. It's me. It's me. Humility. If my people shall humble themselves and pray, cry out to God. How do we do that? We have to humble ourselves and confess our sin. Confess our part of the problem. Nehemiah, I'm not going to read all this, but go back. If you're taking notes, you need to write down. I'm going to give you several scriptures in this conclusion for you to write down and go back and read. Nehemiah 1, 5 through 11 is a great example of a man, of a prayer of confession. He prays, and you heard this if you were, if you went to the Decision America tour in Tallahassee, maybe you watched some of it online this past week as the last uh, Franklin Graham was in Raleigh, North Carolina for the very last. We went to the second Decision Tour America in Tallahassee. Um, he was in Raleigh, North Carolina for the 50th. He visited all 50 states and all the capitals, calling God's people to repent and to pray. And he did the same thing everywhere. He said, first of all, we need to confess the sins of our nation. Then we need to confess the sins of our fathers. 
and then we need to confess our own sin. In Nehemiah chapter 1, verse 5 through 11 is a great example of that. Write that one down. Go back and read that this afternoon. Psalm 106 is another great example of that. David, or whoever wrote that particular psalm, uh, began by saying in, in chapter 6 that, Lord, we have not listened to you, but you have been so generous and kind and good to us, but we have rebelled against you as our fathers did. And the whole rest of the chapters, all the sins of Israel that they committed over the generations. And he's confessing that to the Lord. And see Isaiah 57, 15. What pleases the Lord, as David said in Psalm 51, which is another great example of a prayer of repentance. But Isaiah said, For thus says the high and lofty one who inhabits eternity, whose name is holy. I dwell in the high and holy place with him who has a contrite and humble spirit, to revive the spirit of the humble and to revive the heart of the contrite ones. God will not revive a proud heart. He will not revive a stubborn heart, but he will revive a humble heart. He will revive a heart that says, Lord, I have sinned. I have contributed to the iniquity of this nation. I have sinned with this country. I have been silent. I have, and just fill in the blank. Be, be as specific as you can. And then confess the sins of your ancestors. You may not know what they are, but you know what your sins are. Typically, they struggle with the same thing you struggled with. And then confess your sins. And ask God to forgive you. The Bible says if we confess our sins... He is faithful and just to forgive us of our sins and cleanse us from all unrighteousness. Secondly, what does repentance look like? It looks like humility. Secondly, we plead, with God, we plead for God's mercy, His forgiveness, and the cleansing of His blood. When Jesus gave the Last Supper, He gave the cup. And He said, this cup, this cup is the blood of the new covenant. It's my blood that was shed for you for the forgiveness of sin. Ephesians 1, 7 tells us that it's in Him, through His blood, that we have the forgiveness of sins. We have redemption through His blood, the forgiveness of sins. The Bible says in Hebrews chapter 9, verse 22, He said, For without the shedding of blood, there's no forgiveness of sin. You need to confess your sins specifically to God. And then you need to claim the cleansing of the blood of Christ. As David prayed in Psalm 51, Cleanse me, purge me with hyssop, he said. That was a foreshadowing of what was to come. Hyssop was a, David was looking back to the Passover when they dipped the hyssop, that handful of brush into the blood and they painted the, the doorpost so the death angel would pass over. David was looking back to that, but he was also looking forward to the blood of Jesus Christ that would be shed on the cross of Calvary that our Gloryland singers just sang so beautifully a moment ago. We have to have the cleansing of Christ's blood. Call on the cleansing of Christ's blood. And then lastly, cease from your wicked ways. You've got to stop living the way you're living. Here's what Isaiah 1. Wash yourselves. Make yourselves clean. Put away the evil of your doings from before my eyes. Cease to do evil. Learn to do good. Seek justice. Rebuke the oppressor, defend the fatherless, plead for the widow. Come now and let us reason together, says the Lord. Though your sins are like scarlet, they shall be white as snow. Though they're red like crimson, they shall be as wool. If you're willing and obedient, you shall eat the good of the land. But if you refuse and rebel, you shall be devoured by the sword, for the mouth of the Lord has spoken. God's giving us an option here. He said we can enjoy the blessing of the Lord by the cleansing, repentance of our sin, and the cleansing that comes with it, 
or we can rebel. In Luke chapter 3, as John the Baptist preached repentance, the crowd said in verse 10, what shall we do then? What shall we do? And so he told them, he said, all right, if you have two tunics, give one away to somebody who doesn't have one. He said, if you have food, give it away to people who don't have any. He said to the tax collectors who were extortion, extortioners at, the, at that time, he said, they said, what shall we do? He said, collect no more than what is appointed for you. The soldiers, the, even the Roman soldiers came and said, what shall we do? And he said to them, don't intimidate anyone or don't accuse falsely anyone. Be content with your wages. He gave them specific actions to stop doing what they had been doing and start doing what they ought to be doing. Listen, you can't keep living like you're living and expect God to revive your heart. It ain't going to happen. Has God revived your heart? Have you completely, are you completely sold out to Him the whole route and you know it without a shadow of a doubt? If not, then you can't keep living the way you're living and expect God to revive your heart. You've got to stop some wickedness. The Bible says in Hebrews 12, He said, Let us run the race with endurance. Laying aside the weight, every weight, and the sin which so easily besets us. You see, for some of us, many of us, most of us probably, there's a lot of weight in our lives. It's not necessarily sin, it's just weight. It's like, okay, you see how I'm dressed today? If I were to go run a marathon dressed like this, I don't care, I can be the fastest man in the world by a split second. But if I'm dressed like this, you think I'm going to win? Now i got to shed some weight, right? You didn't say it, thank you. I got to shed some internal weight, but I got to have, I'm not going to race in this. There's some things in your life that's not necessarily wrong. It's just weighing you down, it's slowing you down, and you need to slough it off. You're too busy. You're too distracted. But then, for most of us, there's also some sin that's weighing us down. And you know it's sin, but you keep tolerating it in your life. You've got to stop it. And the only way you can stop it is by turning back to God, repenting of it. And when you turn back to God, then He embraces you and fills you with His grace and His power and His strength and His desire not to want that anymore. For it is God, Philippians 2.13 says, that works in you both to will, to want to, and to do His good pleasure. See, Psalm 51, David said, after his prayer of confession, he said, then I will teach transgressors your ways. Then sinners will be converted unto you. When? After David got right with God. We're waiting for the world to repent. God's waiting on the church to repent. When the church repents, we'll see the world repent. You want a better choice at election year? We, the next four years will tell the tale if Jesus tarries. If the church of Jesus Christ in the next four years decides they're going to get serious about repenting and living for God, then we'll see some better choices next year. But don't expect any better choices as long as we just keep going along in our old routines and our old ruts. The choices we have for president this election year is the result of God's people not turning back to him. I know you don't like that. I don't either because I'm a part of that. It's just pure and simple according to the Word of God. What does repentance look like? Here's an example. I've shared with you, it's, con it's 
It's uh, humbling yourself before the Lord. It's pleading for God's mercy and cleansing through the blood of Christ. And it's ceasing from what you're doing. But what does it look like? When reports of the 1857 American revival, one of our last great spiritual awakenings in this country, when the news of this reached overseas, the Presbyterian Synod of Ireland sent two men to investigate. They returned with stories that created great hunger for revival among the Irish. In answer to that hunger, a revival broke out, and 1859 became known as, the God, as God's year of grace across the Irish nation. One after another were gloriously saved in homes and in schoolhouses. People opened the windows so that those outside and around the buildings could hear the prayer and the praise inside. Careless sinners broke down and wept like children. Drunkards were awed into solemn silence. Often people did not go to bed for two or three nights. Passersby heard people crying aloud for mercy inside their houses, calling out to God in prayer, singing hymns and songs. Busyness or business almost came to a standstill. Prayer meetings in private homes were held at all hours of the day and night. The faces of the new converts beamed with such joy that the newly saved were easily identified. Oh, that God would send such a revival to our land today. If God's people would join in what God says we're to do. Humble ourselves and pray. And seek His face and turn from our wicked ways. God said, I will pay attention then. But don't keep asking me for revival if you're not serious about it. Don't keep asking me to change this nation if you're going to keep going on in your own dirty, sinful ways. I'm not listening. But if you get serious, I'll hear. I'll forgive. And I will heal this land. I'm praying and hoping that God will do that one more time before Jesus returns. And I honestly and personally don't think we have much time left. From the signs that I'm seeing, from reading this book and watching what I can tolerate to watch on the news and read about, we don't have much time. But we have time today. You've got time today to repent. You say, I'll do it tomorrow. That's just one more day you've got to repent of. And one less day you have to repent in. Why not today? Why not now? Why not here? Why not you? Every head bowed, every eye closed.